This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here with Graham Williams. We've got an awesome show for you today. Uh, of course, our show is all about tech, so we're going to be talking about the latest uh, tech trends and gear and apps that are out there. If you are trying to co-parent a child with uh, a partner that has uh, split up with you, whether you're uh been married and divorced or just uh, we're together and apart now, there's an app called Co-Parenter that we're going to be talking with the founder about uh, how it all works, which I think is kind of cool. Hopefully that could take uh, the stress out of a lot of people's lives. I like the sound of that app. We will also be uh, chatting uh, with our good friend uh, Tom Lee over at uh, IT World Canada all about uh, some new Google news. Google had their big I.O. conference down in the U.S. I know you're a big Apple guy, so you're always like into the big Apple conferences. Well, Google has one, too. Yeah. Yeah. I've always wanted them to go a little more green with that, right? Green? Yeah. Well, you know, you got like e-cars, like it could be the Google E-I-E-I-O. Thanks, Graham. I got you. Uh, Let's uh, take a look at some of the uh, tech news this week. Uh, Really big story for me uh, is one of the... Uh, co-founders of Facebook. His name is Chris Hughes. He co-founded Facebook with Mark Zuckerberg uh, back at Harvard way back in the day. Uh, He hasn't been there for over a decade, but he made $500 million out of it. As you do. He is basically calling for the breakup of Facebook in an opinion piece in the New York uh, Times. Uh, And this is a quote from him. We are a nation with a tradition of reigning in monopolies, no matter how well-intentioned the leaders of these companies may be. Mark's power is unprecedented and un-American. I guess they don't have Thanksgiving dinner together anymore, those two. (laughs) they're, They're carving something up, and it's definitely not a turkey at this point. But let's look at the facts. Facebook, they have more than 2 billion users across the world. It owns some of the biggest messaging apps as well, including WhatsApp, Uh, Of course, Facebook Messenger and Instagram, each of those used by more than one billion people. Yeah. They they are the de facto monopoly of all that. They are social media. Yes. Right? Because, I mean, what else is left? Twitter is kind of a a broadcasting platform. Yeah. Uh, Google Plus, well, I mean, if you can stop laughing, never really became a thing. Uh, There's really nothing else out there that's kind of challenging them. Uh, The Snapchat, as the kids are calling it, uh, really hasn't managed to materialize because Instagram well-funded by Facebook, took pretty much all of the cool features that it had. And uh, when Snapchat wouldn't sell out to Facebook, they basically just made Facebook, uh, made Snapchat into, into Instagram. So, and that's working. Yeah. And, yep. and so when we take a look at social media right now, like the, the big trends are going to be a push towards messaging. You hit that right on the head. Right. Facebook Messenger is one of them. WhatsApp is Yeah, the because next. you're using messaging apps all the time. Exactly. And so we're going to see the, the, a shift away from the personal feed and more into the personal feed pushing into your daily communications, your messaging that way. Um, I have to agree with him that at this point... How do you break it up? Do you uh, break out the messaging apps? The messaging app... Well, uh, Facebook can keep Messenger. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, Instagram but, needs to be sheared off. Um, and uh, WhatsApp as well. And WhatsApp as well. Yep. And you know what? I think that makes a lot of sense. Facebook, of course, responded to this. And uh, their spokesperson, uh, Nick Clegg, said in a statement, Facebook accepts that with success comes accountability. But you don't enforce accountability by calling for a breakup of a successful American company. American. You know what? Um, we did this to Microsoft, right? We told them that you can't bundle Internet Explorer into uh, certain computers, and you couldn't bundle other services in there as well. Uh, Google has been told in the uh, European Union that they can't bundle a bunch of their services in 
either. I think we can absolutely look at Facebook and say that that turkey does need to be carved up and take a couple of drumsticks off that sucker because it is too big at this point and we're all failing because of it. Well, it's interesting. Uh, Hughes, uh, one of the co-founders of Facebook, again, he's no longer there, further said that Mark is a good, kind person, but I'm angry that his focus on growth led him to sacrifice security and civility for clicks. And I'm worried that Mark has surrounded himself with a team that reinforces his beliefs instead of challenging them. I mean, the, the philosophy of go fast. I, mean, and break I would things, too. Well, that's it. Yeah, right? There's so much money to be made here. Yes. Right? And they, they say go fast, break things. Unfortunately, the things that they're breaking are our privacy and our trust. And so, you know, they are, if I had to count how many times Facebook has apologized, and I would say quite insincerely, about the way that they have invaded our privacy and broken our trust over the course of the last half decade, uh, we'd be here for a really, really long time. So they've, they've proven to us that we can't really trust them, right? They've tried to say that they've got oversight internally, and that oversight has never really amounted to much. So I'm looking at them with a very critical eye right now and saying, you know what, guys? You don't need all of this here. You actually could do with some competition. And here's the thing. It's actually good for you if we do this. If you take a look at Intel, Intel, when it was created, AMD was created by the U.S. government as a competitor for them so that there wouldn't be a monopoly in the microprocessor industry. And in the last 10 years, AMD has driven Intel to new heights by challenging them and making sure that they have something to be held accountable against. So this is actually good for Facebook. It's good for Facebook's shareholders, and it will be good for everybody else if they actually have something to compete against. In other news here uh, on Get Connected, uh, talking about trust and privacy, Freedom Mobile says uh, a data breach has affected 15,000 customers. Uh, This breach uh, is uh, new, and uh, the wireless firm says they will notify any of uh, their clients that have been affected by this. And so this was names, this was credit card numbers, telephone numbers, the whole shebang. Uh, I don't have the specifics on exactly what they uh, were able to uh, find. Uh, essentially, this breach affected customers at uh, a bunch of the retail stores, I think 17 of them, uh, who opened or changed accounts uh, as late uh, as of uh, April 15th or made changes uh, to open accounts on April 16th. Yikes. And so. they fixed it by April 23rd. Well, that's good. Uh, I mean, it's really unfortunate that these things happen. Um, I do think that we need to, and I, I mean, it's sad for the corporations in Canada, but we need to be starting to hold them accountable for this type of thing. I know for myself personally, I had uh, a data breach happen. I've done a little bit of work for CBC in the past, and I received notification that one of their employees had a laptop stolen. And that laptop had some of our information. Now, the information was encrypted, but that encryption can still be broken. Yes. And so what ended up happening was they provided me with, I think it was two or three years of LifeLock, um, which is a, an identity protection service. Well, that's yeah, good. I, I found I that to be very good. Now, over the course of the, the, I think it's been a year and a half so far since this happened, LifeLock has not been flagged. So it looks like whoever stole that laptop probably just either ripped the hard drive out, formatted it, didn't know what they had. Yeah. Uh, they probably stole the laptop to have a laptop. Um, so it looks like, you know, knock on wood, my data's safe, but I think Freedom Mobile is on the hook here for more than just an apology. Do you have a cell phone or a smartphone? Have you ever broken it? A screen or other components? Yes. I yes. actually, I had this happen yesterday. Oh, no. Screen protector on my phone. Oh, no. Didn't help? It did. Yeah? It did. It was brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Did it save yours? It did. Well, a lot of people don't have that on theirs. Uh, They've cracked their screens. There's so many other things that can go wrong with smartphones. Uh, But did you know you don't 
really have a full right to repair that. Uh, many uh, smartphone manufacturers uh, will void the warranty if you go to a third-party place to try to fix it, uh, or if you try to fix it yourself, God forbid, uh, then you are out of luck. Uh, there's uh, a bunch of jurisdictions that are trying to change that with a right-to-repair law. They tried that in Ontario, and we'll tell you what happened after the break. You're listening to Get Connected here in the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. Well, we all probably have one in our pocket. Uh, It's a smartphone, and they are getting increasingly expensive. Uh, Some of the the top-of-the-line phones from uh, companies like Samsung and Apple are hitting up uh, anywhere from $1,000 to $1,500, and they are expensive to repair as well. And when you do have to repair them, you typically have to go through the manufacturer themselves. Well, there have been uh, a few movements uh, here in North America and around the world to uh, try to legislate uh, these uh, big companies into allowing consumers the right to repair them themselves. To help us understand what that all means and uh, what's happening here in Canada, we have our expert, our mobile expert, Shruti Shakar, on the line. Thanks for joining us, Shruti. Thank you for having me, Mike. So uh, I wanted to talk about this because uh, I know a uh, a liberal uh, MLA out in Ontario tried to uh, get uh, a right to repair bill uh, through the Ontario uh, legislature, but uh, no dice. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, no dice. Um, And uh, essentially with a member of provincial parliament, Michael Cocho, he um, announced the private member's bill back in February and Essentially, it's a sort of a mock-up of what has already been done in the United States. Uh, there's many states in the U.S. that have already sort of chalked up this type of bill um, and presented it before Congress, and it actually has failed on on multiple occasions. Um, so, yeah, he, he um, introduced it. It went into votes, and unfortunately, it did not pass, <laughs> which I'm not really surprised. I mean, there's a lot more conservatives in uh, the legislature than there are liberals, and so, uh, you know, it, when that happens, it's, it's just very evident that it's going to fail, but um, I, I don't think it's, it's a cause for concern, because um, when I spoke with, uh, with Mr. Koto, excuse me, uh, he did say that he intends on taking it to the federal level, and um, even just reintroducing it, I don't know how, what the procedure is with reintroducing bills, but I know that he hasn't sort of given up on the, on the idea. Can you explain to the listeners what the right to repair kind of means? Yeah, so essentially it's just, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's um, giving, uh, I guess, consumers the right to control how their phones are repaired and how much they intend on spending on, on these repairs. Um, a lot of the times, big uh, consumer, or sorry, rather, big companies will uh, sort of be in control of the way that a repair is taking place. And that essentially means that they'll uh, hold on to uh, the manual for repairing phones or even the, the original parts or even teaching people how to repair those parts. And um, part of that is because of intellectual property. You know, companies don't want to reveal how their phones are built or put together. Um, but part of it is also so that companies can actually make more money from consumers uh, through repairs. Um, over the years, uh, it seems very evident that there are a lot more third-party retailers that are popping up and are legitimately repairing phones in a very, um, uh, you know, well-priced way and are actually getting access to um, original manufacturers' manuals. However, it's not sort of like a legal, legitimized sort of um, process. 
um, there's still a lot of discussion. So the right to repair would essentially allow one third party retailers to be able to get a hold of original parts at a decent cost, as well as um, the manuals to, to fix these parts. And it would also let consumers choose the way that their parts are going to be fixed. Do we see this in other industries? Like, I, you know, I, I look at the car industry and, you know, I can fix my car. I wouldn't want yeah. to, but, <laughs> I, you, know, I, <laughs> I, you know, I'd be able to get the manuals and the parts and things like that. Yeah, no, and that's a, that's a perfect example. And that's actually the example that many people who are advocating for the right to repair um, bring up in their discussions. They say, well, if the automobile sector can do it, why can't the mobile sector do it? Um, I, I think the reason why it hasn't chalked up to a definitive um, decision is because it's it's very new and it's not, I mean, actually, that's a lie. It's not a new dis- dis- discussion, but I think it's a, it's a new concept for people to get a hold of and sort of understand. But these sort of factors already exist in the automotive sector. Um, you can easily repair your car and get the parts and be able to go on YouTube for that matter and learn how to change your tire or change the oil. So yeah, this sort of um, concept exists in many industries. But when I spoke with with Mr. Coteau, one of the things he said was the argument that um, people could get hurt. And I think there was a lack of understanding of what the right to repair really meant. Uh, I believe one of the members of uh, uh, provincial parliament was suggesting that, you know, this is similar to trying to fix your toaster oven. What if you fix it and your house burns down? I mean, I don't really think that fixing your phone is going to burn the house down necessarily, but uh, I do think that it's, it's, um, it shows that there's a lack of understanding what the right to repair really means. I guess the obviously the big tech firms uh, lobbied against it and won in this uh, particular uh, case. Do you see hope for this uh, at a federal level, or is it just too much uh, power in these these tech companies' hands? No, I think there is hope. I've actually spoken with a third party retailer, um, and they said that this is sort of already happening in the industry. I mean, whether or not uh, proper legislation passes, um, the industry is realizing that. Consumers want a fair way to have their phones repaired and also at a cheaper price. Um, and I think a lot of companies are also realizing, like big companies are realizing that it's not their job to repair phones. It's their job to create a lifestyle brand. And so they're sort of going to third-party retailers to get those fixes done. Um, so I, I don't think that's something that sad that it's not happening. I just think it might take a little bit longer before legislation passes. And I think part of that comes from education and um, making people understand what exactly the right to repair means. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, if I recall properly, I, I know Apple uh, for the longest time had issues with third-party companies uh, repairing screens and basically saying that would void the warranty. I think they stepped back from that. Uh, you know, I can kind of see some of, uh, you know, the, the tech companies' uh, points. Like these are, you know, like smartphones, for example, are pretty complicated devices. And mm-hmm. there's probably huge opportunities to really mess things up if you start opening them uh, and trying to repair them. Uh, But uh, I I guess there has to be kind of a happy medium somewhere. Yeah, and I think that's also the other concern that a lot of people are having, which is the intellectual property, right? Which is essentially whether or not that could get ruined, or not ruined, but 
stolen um, and misused, if, if you will, um, by third parties or by anybody for that matter. But when I spoke to Mr. Coteau, he said that, that it, there is a way of having this legislation passed and protecting the intellectual property of companies. Um, and I think that's really important to note because if we're going to end up legislating, legislating this sort of right to repair concept, um, I think people need to understand how intellectual property works and whether or not that would get affected by the right to repair. And going back to whether or not this will happen, I think by having a right to repair, it just, um, it just creates a law um, that people have to abide by. Um, and so I think companies are uh, afraid of having someone holding them again, you know, at gunpoint and saying, you have to do this or you don't have to do this because that's what law would say, right? Yeah. But um, I think, and I think that's why nothing really fruitful has come of it because there's, there's a lot more companies that are saying, well, let's not have a law. Let's just do what we got to do and, and just move on with our life. But I think, a lot of consumer groups and advocates are saying, no, I think it's time that we have a right. It's time that consumers are able to purchase uh, a, a free, a, a fair way of paying for their repairs for their phone. We're talking- especially when, especially when phones are sort of like in $3,000. I mean, okay, not $3,000, but like they're really expensive. Yeah. Well, some of the new folding ones are. We're talking with Shruti Shikar from MobileSyrup.com about the right to repair. One day uh, that might be uh, a law in uh, in Canada and uh, the U.S., but for now, it's not. Uh, thanks for joining us, Shruti. Thank you for having me, Mike. When we come back from the break, we still have so much more to talk about. It's going to be an awesome show. If you are raising children together, but you're separated or divorced from your partner, we have an app that uh, could make that a little less stressful. And uh, we'll also be finding out all the latest Google news. Google had a big conference down in California. They've announced some uh, cool new phones and home connected hubs as well. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. Got uh, a really cool app that I want to talk about now. And this is uh, really aimed at uh, folks out there uh, that uh, have separated, uh, getting divorced, uh, that have children and uh, obviously have to co-parent them. Well, there's an app to help called Co- uh, Co-Parenter. Uh, on the line, we've uh, got Jonathan Verk. Thanks for joining us, Jonathan. Thank you for having me. Jonathan, uh, really excited to have you on the show. Tell our, uh, our listeners uh, what Co-Parenter is all about. Sure, sure. Um, well, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, but we already know 50% of marriages end in divorce. Uh, one of the lesser known things is that 50% of the children born, a little less than 50% of the children born are actually born to unwed parents. So we're dealing with a very, very large group of people. Um, and, you know, uh, uh, these parents need to manage and uh, uh, organize their co-parenting responsibilities as they separate, divorce, uh, consciously uncouple and move into their co-parenting uh, co-parenting relationship. So we created a platform that would help parents uh, avoid the pitfalls of unnecessary litigation, uh, avoid having to end up in court by providing tools that help uh, uh, that uses different levels of our, our artificial and computer intelligence to help them predict and prevent the conflicts from happening, and then provide them with the appropriate tools to resolve those disputes. Uh, and that includes a bunch of algorithmic. Uh, methods, but also when those technological tools don't work, we connect them with a live, on-demand co-parenting professional who can help them make agreements, uh, resolve disputes, um, synchronize the details of those agreements to their phone uh, so they can be followed and, uh, depending on where they live, filed. So would you use this app to help schedule uh, visits t- visit times with the kids and stuff like that? 
Absolutely, yeah. So the way it works today is when you decide you're going to separate, <clears throat> parents can try and work out a parenting plan on their own. Uh, by the way, a parenting plan is a necessary document you have to have to divorce. And the choices you've got are, you know, try to work it out on your own. Hire a very expensive attorney or a lawyer, mediator, or therapist to help you. Or, which is, you know, typical, get in line like everybody else and wait, you know, the three to 18 months to get in front of a judge where they'll tell you what your parenting time schedule is. Um, what we do is we make it easy uh, to start creating those agreements way earlier in the process. Uh, because what we know is that when parents make agreements early in the process, it has a profound impact on the quality and longevity, the length of their co-parenting relationship, which is better for kids. Um, so what they can do is they can get on the app and start creating a parenting time schedule uh, um, uh, uh, either on their own or with the help of a live on-demand co-parenting professional. Once they get to an agreement, if they don't get to a full agreement, they've got, you know, they've got their way you know, halfway down the, down the line, the system will recognize where they already agree, and then those are things they don't have to fight about, and provide them tools to resolve the rest. And again, from... Uh, uh, algorithms and, you know, simple computer intelligence all the way up to and including connecting you with a live professional who can help you um, uh, uh, come up with that parenting time schedule. And then synchronize that schedule to your phone so that it can integrate with whatever calendar you're using. And then from then on, you can uh, uh, modify agreements, make requests, uh, ask for, um, you know, ask for changes, swapping weekends, um, you know, going on vacation, travel, registering the kids for extracurricular activities, you know, uh, renewing their passports, getting haircuts, all of the things that have to do with, you know, managing an uh, ongoing co-parenting relationship. What are the legal aspects uh, of this? Like, how enforceable are these agreements that you're creating in an app? So, one of the mis- misconceptions that people have is that they have to go to court. They don't. Um, in all of Western society, pretty much, um, the law says that if parents can make agreements on their own, they don't need to go to court. The problem is, is that a lot of people sometimes, A, don't have the capacity uh, to engage directly. Sometimes it's just that emotions are running very high. Uh, sometimes there's a lack of trust uh, or communication. And so our tool allows them and, and, and helps to facilitate coming to an agreement without the, you know, without the opportunity to get triggered by the sight and sound of the other person, because everything is done over the app. Um, these agreements are enforceable. Um, oftentimes, uh, uh, judges order the tool to be used in an effort to try and get parents to make their own agreements, so they don't need to rely and really come to depend on the court to act as that super parent um, every time they have a co-parenting dispute. You know, the courts are absolutely overwhelmed with uh, with, with, with parents who, because they don't realize that there are other options or they don't have tools to, uh, uh, to do so, they end up in court because there aren't other options. And that's really a shame because uh, it clogs the court system and makes it harder for people with real matters of health, safety, and welfare to reach the, uh, reach the judges that they, that they really do so desperately need. Yeah. From what I understand, they're helping parents. They're helping parents figure out what the child should eat, or whether a weekend can be swapped, <laughs> or what school they should be registered in, or whether yeah. they should be taking, you know, hockey lessons. It, 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 it's, it's, and, and who should pay, and who should drive them and pick them up. I mean, those are not the kinds of things that judges went to school and spent, you know, years and years and years getting educated to help parents resolve. They're there to help with matters of real substance, real legal matters of health, safety, and welfare. Um, you know, not to not to help you figure out who's going to make a decision about the kid's haircut. 
Well, it's, it's interesting, too. From what I understand, uh, you do all the messaging with the uh, the other parent uh, directly through the app as well. And um, is that that communication admissible in court? Yeah. So part of the terms and conditions is that um, uh, is that communication between two co-parents is, is admissible in court. And one of the things that we believe is that because people behave better in daylight, all activity is documented. So, for example, as you just said, all communication is documented uh, between the two co-parents. Uh, but, you know, it's documented anyway. I mean, if you're on Gmail or text or work or personal email, all the rest, it's documented. What we do is we organize it. Um, we keep it uh, uh, we keep it chronological, we time and date stamp everything, and make it really simple to output a simple, consolidated, concise report that shows communication. We also integrate features like um, language filters, so if you try to swear or call the person a name or a phrase, um, we'll stop you from doing that. We're going we're gonna to kind of be that Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder and say, hey, maybe sending this isn't such a good idea. We know you're fired up right now, but sending this may come back and bite you in the tush um, you know, later on down the line. Uh, we've also integrated things like sentiment analysis so that the system can learn over time how co-parents relate and communicate with each other and make real-time recommendations to help de-escalate the conflict. So if the system recognizes that your co-parent has responded negatively to the, what you have said or called her or suggested, um, you know, we can make the kind of, we can do the sentiment analysis to help you understand that, hey, this may be perceived as sarcastic or accusatory or derogatory. Uh, and here are, you know, two or three other ways to say the same thing without triggering your co-parent unnecessarily. Talking with Jonathan Verk, uh, one of the guys behind Co-Parenter, uh, an app to help uh, couples uh, parent their kids, uh, everyone from separated, divorced uh, parents. Uh, but a great point you brought up uh, as well, a lot of uh, unwed parents as well uh, that uh, probably live separately uh, as well could use something like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we have a lot of people using it, uh, people who are deployed um, you know, overseas who want to have an active role, play an active role in their uh, in their child's life and in planning and making agreements about their child's future, they're using the app. Um, you know, pretty regularly as well. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty exciting and it's pretty awesome to see. You know how technology can be used to foster civility, not just you know not not just drive wedges between people. Uh, and we're really excited to be uh, to be able to bring this kind of technology uh, into the in, into the world and, and foster civility in uh, new and unique ways. So i, I got to ask, how much does this cost uh, to use? Oh, the best part. Yes. <laughs> Our whole focus was making sure that this would cost for both parents for an entire year less than an hour with any lawyer they could find. Uh, so for 13 bucks a month, uh, $12.99 a month, uh, co-parents can subscribe. Uh, it includes enough credits for two uh, uh, get help requests, which is uh, the ability to connect with a live on-demand co-parenting professional who will help you uh, come up with those agreements. Um, uh, far less than even registering a complaint with the court to, to begin with. Yeah, no kidding. So uh, is, that fact, 13, it, is that 13 bucks each? It's cheaper than parking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Is it 13 bucks each parent or just for both? 13 bucks a month per parent per month. Cool. Again, we're talking with Jonathan Verk, uh, the guy behind Co-Parenter. Uh, where can people find out more information? Uh, check out coparenter.com um, and, uh, you know, stay out of court. But if you do end up in court, the judge might ask you to download it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, go to coparenter.com, check us out. We've got a really great uh, uh, a content platform. If you're looking for help, assistance, if you're looking for a community, uh, it's, a, it's a great place to go to connect with, um, you know, others who have been through, you know, really similar, uh, if not identical situations and 
uh, you know, we're, 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 we're here to help you take a more child-centric approach to your co-parenting relationship. When we come back from the break, we're going to find out what's happening with Google. They've announced some new phones and some new connected home hardware. You're listening to Get Connected here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. Every year, uh, all the Google nerds uh, go down to uh, the big Google I.O. conference to learn uh, what's new with uh, the Google world, not only from phones to their hardware, uh, but also all the other googly things they do. To help us uh, learn what uh, new things have been announced, uh, we've got our expert Tom Lee from IT World Canada on the line. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Thank you for having me again. Did I describe that right, all the googly things they do? Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a very technical term. I like it. Well, uh, let's <laughs> let's start quickly with the uh, the phone. Uh, Google has their Pixel phone. Uh, they had recently come out with the Pixel 3. Rave reviews, uh, fantastic phone, one of, one of the best uh, camera phones out in uh, the market. Uh, and now uh, they have announced a, a new version, the Pixel 3a. Can you give us the details? Yes, absolutely. So the Pixel 3a and the 3a XL are the counterparts to last year's Pixel 3a, sorry, Pixel 3 and Pixel 3 XL. So these are more targeted towards the mid-range, and that's reflected in the price. They start at 399 Internally, it runs a slightly slower chipset. So it runs the Qualcomm Snapdragon 670, which is a bit slower than the flagship models that we have today. But, you know, it's still more than enough to tackle everyday productivity and uh, gaming. So, like you said, one of the biggest drawing points with these phones is that it carries over the great cameras from last year. So it expects great, great nighttime photos, super sharp details during during daytime. And uh, both of their batteries have been improved as well. So slightly longer, slightly longer runtime. On both of them. Well, I find this interesting because, uh, again, uh, you know, Google uh, has uh, done well, I think, with their Pixel uh, line. Uh, the Pixel 3, obviously, up there in the, the flagship uh, smartphone uh, market. I'm, I'm interested to see how well they'll do with this new one because I think for a lot of people, the camera is the most important part of, of the smartphone uh, experience. They don't always care as much about, you know, the, the, the processor, the, the chip powering uh, the phone itself. That's true. Uh, most people, when they buy a phone, if it runs well enough for them, they don't really care. And one thing I forgot to mention is that 3.5mm headphone jack actually makes a return on these. That's actually something the Pixel 3 and the 3XL lack, which I think is great. It improves usability. A lot of people still use wired headphones. I know I do. See that? This is more of a mass mass market phone uh, compared to the uh, the Pixel 3, I guess. Again, the biggest drawing point is the price. Starts at three ninety nine US. Let's talk about some of the other uh, things they were talking about. Uh, talking about down at uh, Google uh, I/O. Google Assistant uh, is uh, very big and uh, very much a focus uh, for Google over the past few years. What's new there? So there's a lot going on with Google Assistant. So I think it's coming towards the end of this year, but Google's actually looking to distribute a local version of voice processing onto uh, Android phones. So what that does is that right now when we send a voice command, send it into the cloud. But with this new update, you can actually just do it straight straight to through the phone and only the process data actually gets sent to the cloud. So this is actually beneficial in two ways. One, you get to retain privacy and two, you can, you can do this, you can send voice commands to your phone and change settings directly through the phone without an internet connection. It, again, improves usability and improves privacy. And uh, in addition, it's Google's looking to add a lot more features to this. On stage, they demonstrate how it's able to compose emails and it's content-aware, actually. So when you say, Dear Margaret, it will actually automatically append a new line right underneath. So features like that will be very useful for the user. 
I find it interesting they're making a local making a local version uh, for phones so that you don't have to be connected to the internet. Do you think that's going to add a lot of you know st- storage on on the phone to to have all of that? Oh, actually, that's an that's an amazing question. They've actually compressed the data required from 100 gigabytes down to just 500 megabytes. Wow. And as we've seen in today's smart um, today's flagship smartphones, they come with tons of storage, 64 gigabytes at least to start. So you know, 500 megabytes is still a chunk chunk of space but compared to what we have today that's like nothing especially for the functionality you're getting it is incredibly small we're talking with tom lee over at it world canada all about uh, the big google io developers conference uh, that they have every year uh any other highlights uh for you tom ah there's there's a few other products that google has announced there's a google nest hub max i think it's called it's like a how do i describe it's like a google assistant integrated picture frame that can do tons of cool things. Uh, Google Duplex for the web, where they move Google Duplex is like appointment booking feature basically into their search engine. And they're also looking to add 3D models to Google search results. So these are things that you can rotate and they have animation and stuff, which enhances the quality of your search results. Again, talking with Tom Lee from IT World Canada. Tom, thanks again for joining us and uh, filling us in. Yeah, thank you for having me again. When we come back from the break, it's skills time for your Amazon Echo Alexa device. Stay tuned. You're back with Get Connected. It's that time for your Amazon Alexa skill of the week. Graham, what do we got? So this week, I've got a really cool skill that's kind of fun. Uh, It's called Akinator. And so, you ever played 20 Questions? Yes. Okay, so this is a form of 20 Questions where you select a character and you have to answer a series of yes or no questions and Alexa tries to guess who you... (laughs) tries to guess who you're thinking of. Okay. So this kind of turns the tables on, uh, on the system a little bit. You think of something, and if it can get there in 20 questions or less, Alexa's smarter than you. I know she's smarter than me already, <laughs> so there's uh, no contest there. Again, called? It's called Akinator. It's A-K-I-N-A-T-O-R. Uh, talking about techie stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I actually took a Tesla Model 3 for a test drive Did you know? this week. Yeah, that is a sweet car. Right. Well, I live... Um, we do the show here in Vancouver, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm coming downtown five days a week. I live out in South Surrey, mm-hmm. and it's like an hour drive. I am spending literally five to seven hundred dollars in gas, right, a month. Now. But that's because gas is a buck seventy out here. It is crazy stupid. Which is not the carbon tax; it's the gas companies. That's anyway, what they say. Move on. Uh, so I was just doing like the math, yeah. and uh, you know. The one I priced out uh, over a number of years, I think, was six hundred and thirty-five dollars a month. That's not too bad. Yeah, till the end of time, yeah. essentially. But uh, if I'm spending literally six to seven hundred dollars in gas a month, I mean, it's almost a free car. Now, do you have a car payment as well? Right now? Yes. Yes, I have a big SUV, a Chevy Traverse. <laughs> I love it. I yes. love it, but I can't afford it. It's like six to seven hundred bucks in gas. So, you, so you're how much are you paying for the car payment? Five hundred. Okay. Five, no, five fifty. So, so we're talking like eleven hundred bucks a month for an internal combustion engine vehicle. Yeah, and you're taking slowly a, murdering the environment. I'm killing polar bears, <laughs> and I can take that down to six fifty. Uh, you know, I, I don't see the downside to this. I yeah, I'm not a mathematician, but <laughs> uh, it's looking good. Anyway, uh, I'm going to continue this journey. I'll fill you in next week on how that's all going. Okay, excellent. That's all the time we have left. Don't forget to check out our podcast, get connected, and also the app show. We'll see you again next time. 
You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.